0: It is true that I have sent six bullets through the head of my best friend, and yet I hope to show by this statement that I am not his murderer.
1: Here's a Japanese sandman sneaking on with you. Just an old second-hand man your old days from you. He will take every sorrow of the day that is through and he'll bring you tomorrow just to start life
2: anew. hello and welcome to the good Friends of Jackson Elias an occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu horror films and horror gaming in general my name is Paul Fricker I'm Scott Dalwood and I'm Matt Sanderson and this week we've got part two of our discussion of the thing on the doorstep so we've looked at the synopsis of the
0: story we've looked at the underlying themes Scott can you think of any adaptations I can think of one that's been done for this
1: Um, which one do you have you encountered it's in the Lurker
0: Films collection for the H.P. Lovecraft collection I think it's volume
1: five
0: four four or five five, one of those
1: two it was, it was the last one. I think the last one they did, whichever one that was. That was five then. Right. So four was Pikmin's bottle, five was Thing on the Doorstep. Yeah,
2: <laughs> how, how was
0: that then, Matt? I saw the adaptation before I read the story, and I remember little snippets of it, because it's one that I watched a long time ago. I think I watched it when the DVD came out, and then haven't well, watched it again since. It was a fairly low budget, um, low-budget story with some very garish effects in there. But there were a couple of other mythos hints dropped throughout it from what I remember that the scene in which Asneth first tries to do her parlour trick and possess Pikmin she sees so she he it sees something very sinister in his mind
1: Ah, so the hint of Pikmin's model then yes
0: perhaps. yeah Oh, thought from what I remember it was like squirming tentacles and such oh. writhing all over one another oh okay and then also, when Upton goes to the asylum at the very end of the story, he sees the sky changing as if there was some ritual being taken taking place within the asylum. So it hints a more blatantly magical overtone. Nice.
1: Yeah, I, I, I watched that when it came out as well, but I remember very little about it. But <laughs>
0: those are the only bits that I do remember.
1: <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the same chap who made that, I mean, he's actually adapted uh, Thing on the Doorstep twice. Uh, I think that's the, the second one he did. He first did it as a, a short film, uh, but that was the, the feature-length version of it that went on there. And I'm, I'm trying to remember, both versions might be on the DVD. It wouldn't surprise me. They've done it with a few of the ones in that collection. yeah. Um, but yeah there they, uh, is another adaptation that apparently is coming out soon which sounds like it could be interesting I, uh, I saw a trailer uh, for it and it's part of a portmanteau film called um, Arkham Sanitarium well for starters what do you know about Acidus? I knew she had a her father
2: in a padded attic room
1: Strange things happen when Esaleth comes around. It's three Lovecraft stories that have been adapted, and Thing of the Doorstep, obviously, is one. Uh, the others, if I remember correctly, are The Shunned House and The Haunter of the Dark. Oh, so, that could be good. Yeah, mm. it's been in production for some time. IMDb has it listed as being in post-production now, mm. and yeah, you know, they certainly released a trailer last year sometime. So. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, I look forward to seeing that. And also, uh, about six years ago, um, yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was 2008. Uh, Stuart Gordon announced that he was doing a version of Thing on the doorstep uh, with Dennis Pauley, who uh, wrote the scripts of Reanimated, Dagon from Beyond, mm. Dreams in the Witch House, regular collaborator. Yeah, um, but so has anything come of that? No, I mean there, there were lots of announcements oh. in the press, and if you if you Google Stuart Gordon and Thing on the doorstep, you'll see lots of announcements. It's from very much the way with films, though, isn't it? Things get announced, then they get sat on the shelf for years yeah. and years. I don't think this one even went into production. No. So. Oh, Which shame. is a shame. Yeah. Yes. I, I would have liked to have seen what Stuart Gordon could have done with the subject matter. Oh, that'd be awesome. Because, because we mentioned before how the psychosexual aspects of Lovecraft's oh, story my God, never came yeah. out. Can you imagine Stuart fucking Gordon doing things? thing <laughs> And this is roster? a fairly
2: kind of <laughs> schlock horror. It could easily be turned more in that direction. Yeah. Um, so it,
1: it would lend itself perfectly to his treatment, I think. Oh, God, wouldn't it, Justin? That'd be great. So, if anyone out there has got a few million dollars, throw it Stuart Gordon's way and get him to make the fucking film.
2: <laughs> Kickstarter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> so pumpkin, Get him up on the
2: website. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would like to see that one. I am tired of living in a world where Stuart Gordon has not made Thing on the Doorstep. So
0: having looked at the synopsis of The Thing on the Doorstep, and then had a look at the themes in the story, looked at its various adaptations, one thing that we, especially us three, that would be very interested in this is how we would incorporate the elements of the story into a role-playing game. We've done this with Dreams in the Witch House, Rats in the Walls, and more recently with Relay Roulette. So taking various elements out of the story, this is very impromptu, very much quick fire, without preparation, I hasten to add so it's a cup of shit, um, going through elements as to how we would incorporate this into a game. You look as though you've got cogs whirring in your head. Scott,
1: go! Well, I mean, before we do that, I mean, let's, let's just talk about the fact that we're not the first people to have this idea. There is actually a published Chaosium scenario, which, you know, this is going to be a bit of a spoiler, mentioning which one it is in terms of the thing on the doorstep. So, you know, if you don't want to know what it is, stick your fingers in your ears for the next 30 seconds. You'll be fine. Back in the 1980s, Chaosin put out this compilation called The Curse of the Chthonians, and one of the scenarios in there was uh, by Bill Barton, I believe, uh, called The Curse of Shockniform. And it's a bit of a mash-up. It's, it's a mixture of two mythos stories. One is uh, The Horror from the Hills, Frank Belknap Long. And the clue is in the name there, because The Horror from the Hills is all about Shockniform. Uh so no spoiler there. But there is a bit of body theft, uh, in the at the core of it, that is lifted straight out of the thing on the doorstep. And the idea is that um one of the player characters nominated by the GM has this old girlfriend who has, you know, in in a similar way to Asenathwaite been possessed by her sorcerer father and is now looking to get a male body. Uh and, you know, is, is, is gunning for her ex-boyfriend. And this is just happening in the midst of everything else. It's uh, mostly successful. It's, it's a weird thing to try to pull off in a game because different GMs have encountered, you know, encountered this situation before or similar situations where, you know, perhaps someone in a group has been possessed or mind-controlled or, you know, had their, their brain exchanged with you know, a, another person, which is... Yeah, you know, how you handle that, but well, you know, you, you get you obviously have to collaborate to some extent with the the player that that's happened to. But particularly in this case, where there's an exchange going on, yeah, you, know, you you really do do you get the the player to carry on playing the possessed uh, character?
2: Yeah, it's do? a common issue with um, any of those games where you have to be possessed by someone. Like you know, being possessed by Shan is not uncommon in in uh, Delta Green style games and so on um you know you just just give the character a card saying you've been possessed or what do they do now um so it's yeah it's tricky to give people direction for that
1: yeah i mean obviously it's the kind of thing that you're going to have to decide based on who the player is and how they're going to run with those elements uh but yeah, I, I th- personally I think the most effective way is you know just handing them a note or taking them to one side and saying right, you know your character has been swapped out mentally with someone else. You're actually this character now. Here's your bit of paper, and we'll come back to your your character in the other body later. But for the time being, you know, can you play this character and just screw everyone else over?
2: I prefer just to get the player to be quiet and not speak for the next three hours. <laughs> just leave them sat at the table with uh, you know just the blank character sheet and me take their character sheet and play it for them. I think yeah. Yeah, that works fine. Yeah, you're, you're, you're
1: used to playing at your table being quiet anyway just, <laughs> looking at you, your stunned disbelief mm-hmm. I'd do that with all the players if I could <laughs> <laughs> see
0: from, from my perspective I've, I've used Shannon um, games before especially mm. when running Delta Green I think it's actually the first time I ever ran Delta Green is I've run it with Pisces and The approach I took to it was that I've never done it in the course of a long-term game, I've only ever done it in one-shots and only had it so the fact they know in their character brief that they have been possessed, that they are playing the sham, that they're not necessarily... everyone else thinks they're human, but they are definitely playing the sham that's in control. I've never done it in the course of a long-term game because I'm always worried that if I have a particular idea and direction that I want this to achieve, it's, it's a plot device that's in there for a reason, it's not just a random element I'm throwing in for shits and giggles like throwing a hand grenade into a pond to see what floats up that I want to see it actually achieve a purpose. And consequently, leaving that in the hands of a player, I can't control where that's going to go. So I don't I don't like to do it in a long-term game.
1: You see, hand grenade in the pond actually sums up my GMing style perfectly.
0: Oh, hand grenade in the pond,
2: that's pretty much all you need to write on the back of a post-it note, and you're fine. That's your game
0: that's your <laughs> game premise there.
2: Uh, but I, I mean, I've been given characters like that to play, and it says, you know, you're so and such, such and such agent, but you're actually possessed by the shan. And as a player, I'm thinking, okay, I get that, but, you know, what's the Shan... I mean, you're kind of told the Shan's motivation, but then you're kind of, am I playing a person or am I playing this alien creature? I found found that a bit tricky to play, although I have, it seems to happen to me every time I play one of Gaz's games, but... Yeah,
1: Gaz does have a bit of a Shan fetish.
2: But, you know, (laughs) it's fun, so I don't mind. (laughs) Anyway, back to the thing on the doorstep... Uh, is there anything else that comes out of this story that is particularly relevant to role-playing games?
1: Obviously, the kind of possession-type magic, Mystic Chronic University. The, the other thing is that, I mean, there are lots of cool elements in this that I think you could certainly you know, use as inspirational things to throw into a game. One is, you know, I, I want to play a game that involves the pit of the Shoggoths. I do now. <laughs> yeah, it's,
0: it's... Like I said, if one wasn't enough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, here's a whole pit of them.
0: The idea for a scenario that comes from my mind is when you were saying that, oh, of course, it's not the body's not going to be cremated. Of course, something is going to go wrong. Yeah, that would be where I would start a scenario in that you've just had this um, person committed. You've just had um, Daniel go in the asylum. There's the investigation that's taken place in the, um, into the murder. They've just put it in a box. They've buried the body, and the whole thing starts all over again. And then you attack it, well you'd attack the scenario but the, the scenario could be revolving for instance Daniel's wife because uh, it does say that he's married yeah. himself, he has kids which by this point given the amount of time that's passed in the story, they almost certainly have grown up you could make this a riffing on the, the other themes so far you could make this a family drama about what happens when daddy goes into the asylum and then maybe when he comes back someone very very different
1: As well as the the shaketh itself, I and mean, there's this whole thing with the cyclopean ruins in the uh, in the main woods, which is fairly tantalising in itself. But the, the the whole implication that there's this flight of stairs that goes underneath that seems to lead somewhere else with capital letters, that it's almost breaching space and time. You know, it, it reminds me a bit of you know the the uh, the stairway at the start of Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. yeah, you know, and the statement of Randolph Carter, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and and perhaps rats in the walls as well. Which, yeah, these know, underground vistas
2: that you can get down to by certain means, um, with fantastical things down there. I mean, that's yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, all you need is the cavern of flame and the entrance into the enchanted wood. And- well, he <laughs> makes reference yeah. to a flame down there. The flame, the flame beyond body, beyond
1: life, in the earth. Oh God!
0: Oh, there you go. So, yeah,
1: it could even be that. And, yeah, there's this whole implication that he keeps coming back with stuff as well, these these strange artefacts. And, yeah, I love the descriptions of these. Elusively coloured and bafflingly textured objects, like nothing ever heard of on Earth, whose insane curves and surfaces answered no conceivable purpose and followed no conceivable geometry. It's almost like he's described in *The Shining* tetrahedron, <laughs> but 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 yeah, you know, it, it's just the fact that you've got someone who keeps coming back with no real knowledge of where he's been, with these items, not knowing what they're for, mm. and yeah. Th- th- Then I I think, again, having, you know, a scenario where that's the case, maybe, you know, it is a possession thing or maybe it's something else. But say someone who, you know, is a sleepwalker or something like that and, you know, keeps going down to what they think are their cellar steps, but their cellar steps go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And they keep waking up and every time they wake up, there's something new sitting beside the bed that doesn't quite obey the laws (laughs) of physics and they just don't know what it is. There's elements like that in Dreams and the Witch House where he brings back mm. the
0: um, the little statue of the elder things. Yeah,
1: yes, broken off the railings. Yes. One yeah. mm. well, thing that struck me uh, while reading through all these, these strange elements is... How much more commonplace the weird is in this than in most Cthulhu games? I mean, we, we've talked about this before, the fact that you've got this fairly ordinary character. Well, no, no, I, sorry. I, Darby isn't ordinary, but you've got this sort of proto-investigator type character there who has coincidentally gone to the Miskatonic University and read all these books and carried out all these magical rites and so on. And yeah, it starts off with a hell of a lot more knowledge than, you know, even most experienced Cthulhu investigators would have. Although characters
0: also unusually never really references those books later on as well. Unlike yes. other stories.
1: Yeah, that's Well, true. he's not the
2: the storyteller, is he?
1: No, it's about him. But yeah, and and it sort of does a bit in that he talks about uh, you know the the fact that he has conducted some rituals and stuff like that potentially mm-hmm. to protect himself, and it's possible that he did learn some things out of these books that you know that maybe that's why it's taken so long for you know Asenath slash Ephraim to to steal the his body uh, permanently. Mm-hmm there's also the fact that he wrote this this book of poetry as a teenager yeah uh, called azathoth and others which you know isn't the call of cthulhu rulebook book as one of the mythos tomes It's the fact that um you know this reading this book actually gives you mythos knowledge well the fact that it uses the
2: name azathoth it's not that the game has imbued it with mythos knowledge because that could just yeah. be the author of the game giving it those stats um but the he actually uses the name Azathoth and others as the name of the book as a 16-year-old writing it. And Lovecraft, you know, we definitely know Azathoth is, you know, one of the mythos deities.
1: And, and, you know, more weirdly than that, he's done this before he's read all these forbidden books in the Miskatonic University. So where did he get this from? So, yeah, there, there are sort of hints there that, you know, perhaps, you know, maybe he read something unwholesome as a kid or maybe he's got some kind of mystical connection uh but whatever it is again that goes back to the idea of there being this this sort of commonplace weirdness in in lovecraft's stories and his characters that you know we perhaps sometimes deny ourselves in call of cthulhu i'm pretty <laughs> sure it was the nurse the eldritch <laughs> nanny um, <laughs> oh, there is also
0: i'm um, thinking of the getting used to eldritch weirdness oh yeah she possesses people that's fine
1: yeah exactly yeah yeah Um, Never mind the
2: child's first mythos book or whatever it is. Oh, baby's uh, first mythos. Yeah, on on like Kickstarter or whatever. You know, he was writing that book (laughs) when he was a kid. I have backed a lot of kids' Cthulhu books on Kickstarter. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see what we can come up with for a story uh, based on this ourselves, just improvised off the cuff. So what element do we want to start with?
1: Well one thing that fascinates me with this story is the fact that you do have this group of kids sitting around the Miskatonic university uh, who you know it seems like all of them have read all these eldritch tomes anyway and who you know who have formed this this sort of loose bohemian circle whereby they're doing you know god knows what but certainly some of it involves you know black magic and mythos rites and, and stuff sex like and that. drugs well, yeah, you'd like to think that, but of course Lovecraft never mentions that. Oh, though. well, he brushed it under the carpet.
2: We know it's there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's university.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, I, I, I think that you know that, that circle of characters would be quite interesting. Like, it's it's not something mm. I've really seen come up in a Call of Cthulhu scenario.
2: And I'm feeling a strong pulp theme here. I don't know I keep talking about pulp because I've been playtesting a lot of pulp games recently, but um, a lot of pulp Cthulhu. So, you know, I'm kind of feeling that for this. You know, you've got this group of um, miscalonic university students studying uh, medieval metaphysics in the student common room um, late one evening. I guess they're all in dorms at the university. Yeah. Such, a, such a subject that Brown draws in rabble
1: rouses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you remember a horror film from the 1980s called Flatliners?
0: Yes, I actually get a reference <laughs> even out in something.
1: It's a miracle. <laughs> so, Flatline is—I know mean, it's 25 years since I've seen this. So, forgive me if I get elements wrong. But it's about a group of medical students who are fascinated by the idea of death and life after death. So they basically um, take turns to uh, take each other to the edge of death. Uh, and then revive each other—the so kind uh, of near-death experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically. So yeah, so they can come back See and the the experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, it, but but it's the fact that you've got this this group of students who are drawn together by this you know, unwholesome and dangerous practice, who are sort of driving each other on to more and more dangerous things, using the knowledge they've acquired. And I'm sort of thinking of you know it may be a magical version of that. You know, you, you've got you've got all these you know, perhaps. Stoned, uh, slightly crazed kids who've all read the fucking Necronomicon, uh, sitting around playing, yeah, playing such games with each other where it's sort of, they quite happily say, yeah, that's Asenath over there. She can switch minds with you, but don't worry about her. (laughs) What they
2: do is they play a kind of spin the bottle kind of dare game, and the person who loses, you know, they up the ante until the person who loses has to go in the room with the with the the box in it, and when they take the lid off. They're possessed by Ephraim White and then they kind of head off into the woods and start doing dark rituals, you know, until they kind of come back to themselves. Of course, that has to be just like
0: a thrill ride. That has to be the one played by the youthful Kiefer Sutherland, just to keep in, <laughs> in keeping theme with the Flatliners thing.
1: I, or, or alternatively, I mean, yeah, but the fact that they've all got access to the Necronomicon, you know, they're g- g- building on your spin the bottle idea. Uh, and thinking about our really thinking about our really a roulette game a little while back. Yeah, you know, what happens if it's you know spin the bottle? or The bottle points to you. You have to then go to the Necronomicon, pick a random ritual, and then conduct it.
2: Yeah, just open it at a random
1: page and read yeah. it out loud. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> not just. Read shout out loud, but if there are instructions there or rights so that have got to be done, you've got to perform them to the letter, no matter what they are. Hold
0: on, what does it say in the book, Matt? Kalatu Barada necktie. <laughs> <laughs> Close Every <up>. time. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was just thinking, well, you roll 1d20 and go down the spell list. and So right, I picked that one. <laughs> yeah, call forth the sun. Oh, shit.
1: <laughs> exactly. I, but but they, I mean, there's a scenario there. I mean, w- whether or not I... For a convention game, I would quite happily, you know, have it that that group of kids is the player characters. and you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. and so on. Uh, You know, if alternatively, if it was a campaign, you might want to throw them in almost as antagonists. That you know, you've got this this group uh, who have been conducting all these strange rituals, uh, and instead of a cult, it just turns out to be bored teenagers doing it for shits and giggles. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly thinking of taking the. the um
0: one other option of that, I think it would be quite nice if one of those random spells that they happened to pick up was... Um, a track the, fish. Well, I was mainly thinking that to, to, I was thinking that as one of the one that Ephraim had to have because of his ability to control the storms and appease the fishermen, but hey, that's that's you. Um, I was more thinking um, bringing in some of the Charles Dexter Ward rip-off and actually have um, the essential salts and stuff, mm. and that should go for a full-blown resurrection spell. Yeah. Maybe even bring him back, uh, say for instance that the body had been cremated at the end, and if we did
2: set this yeah, after... What, what the do salt? they do with those salts, though? They just kind of mix it in with something and snort it. It's <laughs> have some kind of strange psychological effect.
1: <laughs> Wasn't that an urban myth about Keith Richards? That he'd, he'd, he'd snorted the cremated remains of his dad or something? Along with all the Osbournes snorting a line of ants. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, no, no matter what you try to put into a call of Cthulhu scenario, Keith Richards and Ozzy Osbourne have beaten it.
2: (laughs) And they're still alive,
1: or or are they? Or are they? Yeah, (laughs) they just sit in a refrigerated room. (laughs) (laughs) Club, (laughs) club.
0: I mean, I'd, I'd be quite happy putting together like a series of one-shots over a convention, and actually have um, different meetings of this group over the years, and just the random wacky shit that they pull, and say so yeah. some of the student pranks that they can pull on um, pull on other departments, or maybe like a raid into the library, or just the, the chaos that they could cause across the university campus. I think that if you've got an arsenal waiting to go off there,
1: yeah, I. It just does strike me as being inevitable that you've got all these forbidden, powerful, magical books and you've got teenagers. Hmm. Right? Yeah, bad shit is going to
2: happen. So what's going to be the scenario then? So that's the kind of set-up. Yeah. That's the premise for it. But what's What's our, well, the meat of the scenario there? I,
1: it, depending on how how you did it, I mean, for a convention game, you know, If I was just doing it lightly, then I probably would get your big you know spreadsheet of spells. I pick out you know maybe a hundred uh, the most you know weird and, and dangerous <laughs> and strange ones, <laughs> and you know do that spin the bottle game. Actually, have a bottle at the table, have them spin around, and it's right. Your know, your character has been chosen. You know, pick your you know spell out of the book randomly. You know, roll a D one. 100. Right. Yeah. This is what you've been given. What do you do? Oh, so the Necromic
0: is, is supposed to be like a repository of all dark knowledge, yeah. which says it hasn't got all of those in there. <laughs> it is the spellbook.
1: Yeah. There you go. We, we've just given you a premise to actually play Relier Roulette for yourself.
0: <laughs> the RPG.
1: <laughs> Alternatively, you know, as I said, if you wanted to use it in a campaign, um, it, it, it could be... You know your characters playing academics, more serious students or whatever, and then just all of a sudden something horrible happens on campus. Um, yeah, m- maybe it's the effects of a spell, or maybe it's the fact that you know the, these kids have blasted their psyches enough that they are willing to go along with whatever the spell requires, and they have started kidnapping people as human sacrifices just so they you know uh, they they can do the spell that they've picked.
2: But I feel we're we're missing the one of the key things of thing on the doorstep of the aspect of possession here oh yeah one of the ways to, to handle possession would be in a kind of um angel heart um type way so i mean i, I ran a, a game many years ago on on this basis that they were basically investigating what one of the player characters had done um but unaware of that fact yes um so he'd kind of pass out at night go off and do something and then return to his bed and uh, not be aware that it that he was actually the one carrying out the crimes. So with this whole possession thing, I think you could have something akin to that.
1: Or well, alternatively, if you've got um you know the idea of this ageless sorcerer who's gone in and possessed someone within the group, you're an Asmath white white type character perhaps you know it was his or her you know idea you know this would be a really fun thing to do i know a great game let's do this and he's sort of trying to you know push things in a direction whereby he's effectively getting a group to carry out a ritual that will be useful or important to him uh, just under the guise that they all think they're playing a game
2: so maybe there's some um big threat that so we've got this um or well, maybe like the first scenario we came up with, we've got this group of students or, or academics that are um, playing this game and it all seems a bit jokey and there's some, but as, as a kind of kicker to the game, there's some major threat that they've got to kind of confront, but actually there isn't any major threat. That's just a contrivance of this possessing entity that is making them think there's some major threat. It's putting the frighteners on them to drive them to do something crazy. Possibly,
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I must admit I prefer the idea if they are just doing it for laughs. Because that just makes it all the more fucked up. <laughs> yeah, somewhere between the two. If you're running it again as a
0: another chapter in an ongoing scenario, just let's say they've defeated a big bad a couple of chapters ago, they've had another small encounter or small adventure in between. What if that sorcerer that they killed six weeks ago or six or eight weeks ago actually has the same power that um Asneth had? Yeah. That it then decides to possess one of the members of the party. You you lay some hints in that intervening in that intervening scenario that you feel in this tug whenever you go to sleep and make it think that it's actually what they're dealing with at that moment in time that's the cause of it. Think, oh yeah, we've dealt with that. No, you get that last tug and now you've got the handout that says you're possessed by the guy that you thought you, uh, the guy that you actually killed eight weeks back. And that then that PC starts to perform acts that, that you try to break the party apart. Mm-hmm. It's a definite agenda that they have to say. This is my way of getting revenge back on you by getting you to split up. Then you are no longer a cohesive force to stop me from coming back oh, and nice. fully completing my plan.
1: Yeah, you know, I've have just thought of a, a a really kind of nasty variant of this. Not nasty, you know, in, in its horrific, but nasty in that it it really plays upon the expectations of RPG players. Do it. Uh, which is, uh, you know, a setup like that, or a set, you know, any kind of setup where you know, you, you know, that there's this body hopping sorcerer going along, going around, and yeah, you know, perhaps to break up the group, or perhaps something like this. All of a sudden, you know, this this person comes up, and you know, uh, and sort of says, you know, so and so in your group, you know, that's the sorcerer. They've you know, they've exchanged bodies with me, and so on. And of course, you know, it's actually the sorcerer who's making the claim. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, role role players being role players, they'll all just automatically believe this and think that yeah, you know, that's especially if you've team. taken
2: them to one side and <laughs> exactly, passed a few yeah. notes around.
1: You're him. a plot device; I can't ignore you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just just strikes me as being a really good way of setting up a player character, getting to... a bit of paranoia going. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Or if you have them jump repeatedly between people.
2: Yeah. So then you can never tell; it's not always in one place. There's only one thing you can do then: tie them to a chair. <laughs> like the flamethrower <laughs> we're gonna find out who's the thing yeah. in the, or in that case
0: we're gonna find out who is the thing on the doorstep
1: oh, nice <laughs>
0: I see what you did there well I think that brings our one two three many parted discussion on thing on the doorstep to a close We've looked at pretty much all the aspects there, so going over what actually featured in the story, themes, how to use that in a role-playing game, and adaptations thereof. So,
1: was there anything we missed, chaps? <sighs> if, probably. There, there, there always is. In, invariably. If, if there's yeah. anything we've missed, you know, find us on social media, tell us. Uh, and, yeah. and we might even
0: talk about it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another published scenario out there that uses bits of Fix the thing on the doorstep just yeah. that we haven't come across
1: well uh, yeah one thing that we didn't mention at the time which is that you know the uh the mind exchange spell that you know came into that published scenario we were talking about is actually now in the call of call- cthulhu core call rule book mm-hmm. yes uh one more thing i
2: think we could just
1: say that maybe
2: we haven't really said is what do we actually think of the story did you enjoy it
0: mm, meh there were bits of it that I liked, like, but like I say, I think I, I've enjoyed other Lovecraft works more. It's not to say I didn't enjoy it, but I just preferred his other works
2: more. So it was okay, but not one of your favourites.
1: Yeah. Scott? Yeah, I don't know that I call it one of my favourites, but it certainly stands out for me you know, for a number of reasons. Yeah, you know, as, as I said before, it is not your typical Lovecraft story. Uh, it is different enough from its other works that I found it... Compelling and interesting for reasons that I don't normally find in Lovecraft, uh, and and also it is really fucking dark. It really is. It is. Yeah, it has got a horrible, horrible ending, and I love that.
2: I think having read it again this time and analysed it and thinking about it as I was reading it a bit deeper, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I, I wouldn't say it doesn't fit in the same box for me as a lot of um, Lovecraft's other stories. Um, it feels quite a different niche, but you know, it fills that niche really well. So that wraps it up for The Thing on the Doorstep. So it's good night from me, Cheerio from me, and farewell from me.
1: Hello. blasphemoushomes.com.